1: It's, it's even better because you can, you can just create as much money as you want. And you don't even have to print it anymore. I mean, we talk about the Fed printing money, but of course, they're not printing. I mean, that, that's a bit tedious. You have lots of paper. And <laughs> when I, whenever I print money, I get green ink all over my fingers and stuff like that. It's very messy. Right. Don't like it. But to create it electronically is so much better. So they just add zeros to their bank account uh, and then they start to buy the bonds from, from the
0: dealers and other market participants. This is the How to Trade Stocks and Options Podcast, brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com, where we cover finance, stocks, options, entrepreneurship, education, and money. And here's your host, voted one of the top 100 people in finance, Christopher Ewell. Hey, listen, if this podcast was useful to you at all, I really highly suggest that you go check out the full trading course at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. Hey, make sure you subscribe and hit the bell so you'll be notified every time we give you more tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter every single week. Hey there, traders. Welcome to today's How to Trade Stocks Options podcast. Today, we have a special guest online, Octavio Marenzi. Now, Octavio is coming to us from Paris, which is really exciting to have you on today, Octavio. Well, Kristen, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, for sure. Now, Octavio is the CEO of Primus, LLC, and and if you don't mind, sir, could you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your company, and uh, then we can get into the podcast today.
1: Well, we're basically a management consulting shop, and we advise financial institutions, so typically large broker dealers, uh, asset managers, people of that sort, as well as a whole bunch of sort of the fintech players that play in that space. So we advise them on aspects of strategy and operations and technology and things of that sort. So that's Mm. the space that we're active in, and the space I've been active in for, I guess, about 20 years now at, at this stage, so going back a bit.
0: Well, FinTech is such a hot industry right now. It's like every time you turn around, at least you know coming out of uh, Silicon Valley and everything, every time you turn around, there's a new startup talking about how they're the next biggest, greatest FinTech thing, whatever that may be.
1: Yeah, I guess we, we've
0: uh, we're sort of focused on, on uh, an area of, of, of FinTech, which is sort of the capital
1: market side of things and, and, and typically sort of the institutional business. And, and that tends to be sort of a bit weird and esoteric. And what we've seen actually is over the course of the past couple of years is, A whole bunch of sort of fintechs pop up in California. And if you're you're focused on, on fintech and sort of retail capital markets or retail banking, like payments and stuff like that, it's relatively straightforward. I think they can get their head around how those markets work. But then when you start to look at sort of the institutional markets and look at things like collateralized loan obligations or securities lending and a whole bunch of weird stuff that exists in those markets, they're a bit out of their depth, uh, and so they sort of think we've got this great technology solution, we're going to revolutionise financial services, and then they sort of confront it with the reality of it once they hit it and they start to realise, well, there's a lot of stuff in the structure of capital markets that I thought we could just get rid of with a, with a better mouse trap, but ultimately they find it's very tough to do. You need very specialised expertise and they're very bizarre markets, and, so, and they don't lend themselves just to be ripped out and replaced very easily. Um, so that's we've we've seen a few fintechs crash against the wall there and, and not not achieve the success that they had hoped
0: really. Yeah, and especially considering the uh, the fact that they get so much uh, VC capital up front, you know maybe a billion dollars and you know several rounds of funding. But you know something you mentioned there, which I wanted to talk about today, was uh, the the weird markets that we're in. <laughs> I mean specifically, uh, you know we we we're, we're in the midst of this pandemic. And yet, the S and P five hundred just hit a, a new all time high, and you know we've still got countries with uh, negative yields. We've still got the the uh, looming recession over us, and we've got. I, I know personally, I'm I'm here in Texas, and Texas real estate's been booming forever, but then all of a sudden, um, the commercial real estate here has already started to get very soft, and I'm hearing uh, not very good things if you are a commercial real estate investor. It's so, like, Tavia, what? How how can we be at this? point in time. How can we have markets at all-time highs and viruses at all-time highs as well? This doesn't make sense.
1: Well, I mean, I I think you hit on the point by pointing out negative interest rates. And I think those things are are quite uh, closely related. What we saw back in March was the the market take a tumble uh, as the whole COVID thing started to, to unfold. And that's exactly what you'd expect to have happen. The economy was being shut down. Uh, A whole bunch of business had very bad prospects. Uh, The the whole tourism, airlines, travel, that whole space was hit really hard. It's still really hit hard. Um, And so we saw the stock markets come down. And at that stage, the central banks, and in particular the Fed, stepped in and just started printing money like they'd never done before and just threw literally trillions of dollars at the market. Now, if you've got a printing press and you can print as much money as you want, uh, then that's great. You can support the markets. And I think that's what we've seen, basically, is the fed is supporting these markets so they're somewhat divorced from reality uh, it's not based on the fundamental prospects of these these companies but based on this very very cheap money that's flooding the market and very low interest rates are part of that of course uh, and in europe yes we have a bunch of countries where there's negative interest rates sometimes sort of surprising ones if you go back uh, a central bank was so busy buying up even corporate bonds that they drove some of those yields really down low so we're we're seeing basically quite distorted markets. Uh, the central banks are—I want to say—they're manipulating the markets. They're not doing—they're doing this quite consciously to support the markets, but that's the basis it's on. So it's all about the central banks and the central bank monetary policy that's driving these markets, not the economic fundamentals of, of the businesses.
0: So how does a central bank drive markets? Right, me as a, a layman here, um, when I hear people say the Fed's causing this, central markets are doing that. Ah, uh, governments are doing this. How does how does all that tie together? How does that work?
1: You, you mean the actual mechanics of it? How it actually operates? Yeah, like
0: how how can Jerome Powell across across uh, across the world? How can they influence things to where we are having new all-time highs? Like like are they the ones out there like clicking the buttons to buy stocks? I don't I don't
1: I don't know. No, they're not buying stocks. We haven't done that yet, but they are buying bonds. So. So let me walk you through how it works and how the operations work. And if this is too arcane, let me know and I can, I can take it up a level higher. No, no, no,
0: uh, that's actually but, where I was uh, trying to prompt you, Tori, because please give me a little bit. Okay, great. Well, so, so the, the,
1: the, 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 the approach, and I, I'm not saying I agree with this approach, I actually don't. I think, I think it's a having sort of a centrally planned interest rate and monetary policy is probably not the way to do it. So I, I, I fundamentally don't agree with the approach, but I can tell you what the theory is and, and how they would themselves describe it. So if, if they now decide the economy needs a bit of stimulus uh, because there's a turndown or the economy is sh- showing some softness or uh, there's a pandemic or, I don't know, a terrorist attack, almost anything, they will say, well, we should, we should support the economy a bit. And we do that by basically having monetary injections. And so they agree that they're going to increase the amount of the money supply now they don't deliver the money supply by just sending people cash in the mail i mean i've never received my share of the increase in the money supply via post uh, i don't think you have either. that's not the way they operate
0: well, so, they did send $1,200 checks at the beginning of this. And they're like, listen, 1200 hundred that's all you need. You're going to get through this pandemic just fine. <laughs> I guess that's how I got mine. I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
1: I didn't get one. I, I don't know why I'm probably living in the wrong country or something like uh, that. I suppose, but, uh, yeah. But we have enough other stimulus th- programs in Europe to, to do that kind of stuff. But that's not the central bank. So that's the Treasury sending you that money. But they will indirectly get the money from the, the, the central bank as well. So... The central bank decides we're in a period of economic softness and we need to inject money in into the into the markets. They do that by getting the so-called Federal Open Markets Committee together, the FOMC which is based in New York, it's part of the New York Fed, and they decide they're going to buy bonds. So they're going to inject the money into into the markets by buying up bonds. Now, they're not they, they simply create this money out of thin air, so they, they simply say uh, we're going to create more cash, and we're going to use that to buy the bonds from uh, dealers in the market.
0: So they're buying treasury assets with treasury money. Am I understanding that correctly?
1: No, no, it's not treasury money. They they, they could buy treasuries. They could they buy all sorts of bonds. Okay. So they they might buy mortgage-backed securities, which is a particular kind of bond. They like to buy those. And that's why I've seen the housing market have a, a tremendous amount of support. Uh, they could buy treasury bonds, and sometimes they bought other corporate bonds. But they tend to buy sort of high-quality bonds and sometimes target it specifically in the sectors they have. Now, recently, the Fed has expanded that massively and is buying all sorts of corporate bonds and commercial paper and all sorts uh, of things. Okay. But so basically, the traders at the New York Fed sit there, and they're given a bunch of cash. And that cash is simply conjured up thin air. They basically say, listen, we're going to put a trillion dollars in your account now. Go out and buy some bonds and it's that's what they like do. It's have a
0: credit card, right, but it's and a limited balance credit
1: card. It's, it's even better because you can you can just create as much money as you want and you don't even have to print it anymore. I mean we talk about the Fed printing money but of course they're not printing. I mean that, that's a bit tedious, you have lots of paper and <laughs> when I, whenever I print money I get green ink all of my fingers and stuff like that, it's very messy, right. don't like it, but to create it electronically is so much better. So they just add zeros to their bank account, uh, and then they start to buy the bonds from from the dealers and other market participants so uh, that means bond prices get pushed up of course as as they start buying in in mass and, and and in a in a very sort of consequential way they start to drive up the prices of bonds which means yields and interest rates come down the, the, those two things are amount to the same thing that's why we see such low interest rates they're simply buying all the bonds that they can find mm-hmm. so what do the people who receive this money, this cash now, they've sold their bonds, what are they going to do with it? They have to invest the money somehow. Um, they're not going to turn around and buy back exactly the same bonds. That would be absolutely pointless. They've sold their bonds and now they're sitting on a pile of cash and they need to put that to work. So where they will pl- place that money is in slightly riskier bonds uh, or bonds that have a slightly different pro- uh, and some of that money will also then end up in the equities markets and drive up the equities prices as well. So that that cash sort of trickles through the system. It's injected in the bond market and then gets into the equities markets and drives those 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 prices up. And that's basically the mechanics of it.
0: That now, it's, it's
1: just it, it's just convention that the that the Fed or central banks in general uh, inject money by buying bonds. They they could in theory buy anything. Uh, they could say we're going to go buy broccoli. Uh, Now, I've never seen a a central bank do that, but in theory they could. And if they were to do that, they would drive the price of broccoli through the roof. Uh, And that's exactly what we're seeing happen there, is is that they're doing that. Now, they've they've historically only bought certain kinds of assets central banks. So they've bought bonds or high-quality bonds. Uh, Increasingly, they're buying lower and lower-quality bonds. So the Fed now is sitting on more and more low-quality bonds, as are other central banks as well. And in some cases... They've even started to intervene directly in the equity markets. So uh, the, uh, the, the, in China, for example, the People Banks, People's Bank of China was trying to support the stock market a couple of years ago, and they started to buy stocks directly and started to own those, those equities. So if things get really bad, uh, I suppose the, the central bank can just you know, create more money and buy up everything. Um, it's not really based on fundamental economics, though. It's basically the central bank driving that and creating those kinds of bubbles.
0: You know, this honestly was the best explanation I've ever heard, ever, of how it works. Because <laughs> usually, whenever you, at least in my world, whenever I'm on the Internet and people are talking about, you know, it's the Fed costing this or that, there's no, like, tangible Anything behind it is just blame the Fed. Blame blame somebody, right? But to actually hear the mechanics of it is actually really great. I, I, I really appreciate it. I'm sure the audience did as well.
1: I mean nowadays everyone's blaming the Fed in the I mean the price is going up, so there's no one to blame. And most people think that's good. You know, when when prices come back down, I think almost invariably you blame speculators and foreigners. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the two groups that are always responsible for price crashes. There's speculators who speculated too much. But bear in mind this process works in reverse as well. Uh, So when the Fed, as a result of putting all this money into the economy, you start to get inflationary pressures because that money spreads out through the economy eventually. So it goes from bonds and it goes to then lower quality bonds and it gets into equities and and people have more money. And so they buy more cars and they buy more yachts and houses and everything. And so eventually that money spreads out and filters out through the whole economy and you start to get inflationary pressures on prices and they start to push up a bit. then the central bank gets spooked and they say oh okay we 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 have to now pull back a bit uh, we're going to we're going to jack up interest rates we're going to sell some of the bonds that we have uh, in our inventory because we've got too much I, I don't know how many trillions of dollars the fed now has on own balance sheet but it's a lot and some stage might say hmm maybe we've gone a bit too far the economy seems to be good let's uh, let's increase interest rates again uh, and at that stage of course the markets go into reverse and they go back down so you see this process happening over and over again, that the central bank pumps in money, stock markets go through the roof, they get a bit nervous, even if they just slow down the rate of money, uh, monetary injections, then the markets have a tendency to, to, to crash. And you've, you've seen that cycle go happen uh, for a long time now. Uh, and and I think we're in sort of at the peak of one of these, but who knows what they'll do next. They might just carry on injecting cash. It seems they're fairly committed to that path. So we'll, we'll have to see. Mm.
0: Yeah, that does concern me. Let's say we get through the the coronavirus here. Um, and then, you know, all right, on that topic, I, I once heard a quote, and uh, I, I can't attribute it to somebody. Maybe, maybe someone in the comments can, can attribute it to the right person. But it was something like, does a pandemic end when nobody's sick anymore or when the media no longer covers it? And so maybe we could translate that to the stimulus here, right? Does the stimulus end when... The pandemic ends, or does the stimulus end when nobody cares about it anymore? I don't know.
1: Well, the 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 monetary stimulus, I think, uh, is is has to almost carry on. I think they've boxed themselves into a corner now, where mm-hmm. if they stop it, markets will crash. And and even if they sound like they're thinking about stopping it, markets respond very very negatively. So if you listen to what the Fed says, they're always saying. Uh, we're going to carry on and we're going to be very cautious and it's going to be very low interest rates for as far as we can see but you're quite right to point out what happens when things recover when the lockdowns end uh, they have to pull that back then or likely to pull it back and, and that's probably going to have a very negative effect on the, on the markets overall.
0: Uh, are you guys in lockdown now? I know that there's been a lot of European lockdown talks. I'm just not sure where y'all are at right now.
1: Yeah, we've, I mean, there's certainly it's sort of a light lockdown this time round. So um, restaurants and bars and gyms and things like that, uh, any place where you exchange bodily fluids are closed. Um, mm-hmm. And um, they just reopen all the shops and things like that. So, and we're allowed out the, of out the apartment three hours a day and things like that now. So oh it's, it's locked. Lockdown, but before it was one hour a day. So, so this wow. is the last improvement.
0: Octavia, and you could only really, go. I don't know. You could anymore.
1: only go one kilometer around. That was really limiting. You could walk the dog, and that was about it, really.
0: Oh my gosh! Like this sounds unbelievable. Like my 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 concern number one: we're we're, we're talking about vaccines that are about to be unleashed upon the population. My my number one concern with this is the lack of long-term human trials. Where does it go from there, right? I mean, we've literally had a vaccine for I don't know a couple months at the most. Like, who knows what what the side effects will be? And my concern is that if, if it causes more issues than it solves. And then number two, you know, we've 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 been accustomed to being quote locked down, um, but it's ramping up now. Um, but from what I am gathering, the lockdowns aren't stopping the spread obviously this is getting a little more scientific than regular podcast episodes but the lockdowns aren't necessarily stopping the spread as much as they are like hurting the people who need the income the most and and, and that's where i'm tying it back into like a economic discussion here um and that really concerns me too right you've you've, you've got literally you're talking about shops, you're talking about restaurants, gyms, things like that, who depend on their customers coming in and giving them money. But if, if the government only letting you out for an hour to three hours a day, that really, I don't know where that's going to go. <laughs> that concerns me big time.
1: <laughs> I, mean, I, I personally have been quite happy about the lack of travel, I have to say, because uh, I, I, I you used on. to have to fly. I, do, I used to, have to fly to New York twice every every two weeks or twice a month and stuff like that, and then London, and once a while to Tokyo and things like that. And and it seemed that like half my life was spent in airplanes. And, and so I'm I'm quite in, in, in part I shouldn't say I'm happy about the lockdown, but uh, part of me is is sort of sort of delighted to be at home for a bit for the past uh, few months. But it does feel a bit like I'm in a submarine now. You know, I feel like i have been a sailor at sea under the ocean for half a year, and it's time to to come back out. Um, so, I mean, you raise the, 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 of course, the right question in terms of how, I mean, the questions are how effective these vaccines are going to really be. The data that we've seen so far has not really been independently verified. So we've seen Noise from Pfizer, Moderna in terms of their vaccines uh, being 90% effective or 95% effective. But I would point out that's, that's based on a very limited number of, of individuals. So these are not quite the sort of large scale trials you'd expect. Uh, and no one's really independently verified the data. That, that being said, it looks like governments are hell bent on giving emergency approval to these vaccines before we have those large scale trials and, and just getting them out into the general population. So we will all be the guinea pigs. But you sound a bit like uh, a, a vaccine skeptic, a bit, or I, mean, I would not call you a full-blown vaccine denier. But I, I think it's right to to approach this vaccine, perhaps other vaccines, with a certain degree of caution, um, and 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 be careful with
0: You know, I, I love a good conspiracy theory. I really do. Like they really just get my juices flowing. Um, and just yesterday, Obama. Um, Former President Clinton and former President uh, Bush all said that they would take the virus uh, vaccine on TV to show how great it is. And I'm like, how many movies have we seen where they just inject the actor with whatever, right? It could be like that. And then, you know, here comes the conspiracy, right? We're, we're, we're going to teach everybody, hey, you got to take the vaccine. And, uh, you know, then there's a the new world order. Who knows?
1: <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not very big into conspiracy theories. I do enjoy conspiracy facts, though, and I think uh, that might be w- one of those where, yeah, who knows what they're injecting into themselves? Whether it's just saline solution or I don't know mm-hmm. what, something else. Uh, 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 there's no way you can really really verify that. So, um, I, I, I think it, it's amazing how quickly they claim to have been able to develop this vaccine as well. I mean, there are other viruses. Uh, that we are still waiting to see vaccines for. If I think about the HIV virus, for example, we've been promised a vaccine for that virus, but <laughs> I That's don't know really how long. That's
0: a really great point. I mean, and it,
1: they've stopped talking about it now. But but if you go back, I don't know how. I, I don't know when I last heard about an HIV vaccine that was just really close to being approved, and it had, was very encouraging. And I don't even know how you test that. Now, it's not so bad to get coronavirus for most people. Getting HIV is kind of a serious thing to have to deal with. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm somewhat skeptical about the, the efficacy of these and how, how quickly they develop them and whether the data is really there. But I guess we'll see uh, as they unleash it on, on, on the population. I suppose there is a, a risk that they sort of change the testing procedures. And there's always that uh, ability to change the sensitivity of the viral tests uh, and make it look like it's been effective. But the thing that I'm most concerned about, I think, in all this is that it seems to me that governments have sort of developed a bit of a taste for lockdowns and, and controlling people and telling them what to do and when to do it and who to do it with. And, and I see a substantial risk that they'll react this way with other viruses when they come out or other p- potential uh, diseases uh, that, that, that that come up. So I don't know what happens if we now get another scare of avian flu or swine flu or if there's a couple of people in West Africa who test positive for Ebola, how are right. governments going to react? Are they going to shut down everything again? And I think there's a very substantial risk. that This just becomes a, a constant artifact of our everyday lives, is that this goes on forever. Even if we get rid of COVID-19 and get that under control, anytime there's a new virus that comes up, the new virus scare, there's a risk governments will re- react with a fairly heavy-handed approach and, and shut down parts of the economy again.
0: Yeah, I I think you hit that nail right on the head. And in fact, that that reminds me, um, I don't watch a lot of news like at all, Um, but I have been more lately because of the coronavirus. But the last time I really watched news was around the time the swine flu happened. And since you brought that up, it made me think about it. And I remember seeing a, a headline that said, swine flu is the end of all humanity. And I was like, are these people serious? And that's why I was like, I don't need to watch the news anymore. Like, you're going to sensationalize anything for a click. And this is the scare tactic you're going to use. It's the swine flu's the end of all humanity. And, you know, we're obviously seeing that again. But this is on a different scale. I mean, obviously, it, the whole world is yeah, I mean, you know, else. But.
1: That's, in and of itself, it's perhaps a bit harmless if some you know, wacky media outlet decides to do that to get viewers. Mm-hmm. It's quite a different thing once it starts to drive policy. And mm-hmm. and when politicians start to listen to those things and say, okay, we need to 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 drive policy ba- policy based on what we think is going to happen based on these kinds of headlines, uh, you know, I, I guess people are always saying, listen to the experts on this front, but I was questioning, well, which experts would you like to listen to? Because I think yeah. about any topic, you can find a thousand different opinions.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and if you ask different virologists or epidemiologists or things like that, you can you can get dozens of different opinions about COVID nineteen, and mm-hmm. you can find any opinion you want really amongst the experts. Um, so I, I guess I'm, I'm I'm concerned about that that we we enter sort of a, a a new era where lockdowns are just common and 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 commonplace and happen regularly. I don't know what we kind of interval, but I, I could easily see that. Uh, I, I mean, imagine, imagine, if, the, imagine if that hi- the headline ideology. now comes up. I mean, imagine that headline comes up now uh, in in two years' time. Uh, there's some headline in the newspaper: swine flu is back, and uh, this is the end of humanity. What are government's going to do? Are they just going to shrug their shoulders and say, okay, we've we've heard this before? or are they going to take aggressive measures? I think they'll probably do the latter more than the former. And they'll take aggressive measures and, and, and sort of start to lock things down again. So that's that's where I see a risk uh, in, in the longer term.
0: I agree with you, but I also do see some opportunity. So now we've got a lot of pent up demand, especially from people who are only able to get out of their house for an hour a day, who want to buy things, who need to buy things, who are looking to get uh, new things, right? Um, Maybe once we get through this, we'll see an economic boom. I'm hoping that could be the case. What do you think?
1: Well, I I think certainly things will get back to normal quite quickly as as lockdowns are lifted. So once that occurs, I think things will return to normality very quickly. You're, You're right that there's sort of a pent up demand because there's a lot of sectors, a lot of areas where people have spent money in the past that they haven't been able to. So if you look at things like travel and entertainment and those things and bars and restaurants and stuff like that, uh, people have sort of been forced to save that money. Now, I know the people who work in those sectors have suffered terribly and lost their jobs and lost lots of income, but it does mean that the rest of us who don't work in those sectors have more disposable income available to spend, uh, and that will take place. So we, we have seen, if you look in the retail sector in the US, for example, there's been a, a pretty strong recovery in retailing overall and department stores, uh, grocery stores never did badly. So the sectors that did quite well through this and 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 never had sort of a, a downturn in revenues. Uh, and there's, of course, those sectors that were crushed such as the airlines or cruise lines or hotels or car rental agencies or things of that sort. So there's been sort of a, a very uneven impact of it. Overall, it's been negative and but very negative in some areas and, and quite positive in others. I mean, Fairly depressingly, if you look at the early days of, of the lockdown in the US, there, there were two sectors on the retail side that did very, very well. Uh, and they were alcohol sales and video game sales, which is kind of, uh, <laughs> those went through the roof. So uh, that's exactly what happened at my house. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not a big video game player, but I did increase my beer consumption quite markedly. Uh, <laughs> so,
0: I, uh, so. I, I have two little boys and... Uh, we have an Xbox and then I have a, I have a gaming computer, which is um, what I'm talking to you on. And I have bought more games this year than ever. <laughs> In the history of having these things, I've bought more games than ever. So yeah, I, uh, I was part of that contribution for sure.
1: Excellent.
0: Well, Octavia, I really gotta say, this was uh, an enjoyable conversation. I mean, we, we went through a whole gambit of things. And uh, I think what we're looking at today is uh, a lot of uncertainty. But uh, hopefully the end of it coming soon-ish. Maybe the vaccine helps us all out. I'm not sure. But hopefully in the very near future, um, we have some more uh, normalcy. So Octavia, I really appreciate your time. Uh, where can people learn more about you and, uh, and your company?
1: Well, they go to our, our website, opimas.com, O-P-I-M-A-S.com. Um, but listen, thanks a lot for the conversation. It was really fascinating and uh, hope to talk to you again soon.
0: Absolutely. And uh, really, thank you for your time today, especially coming all the way from Paris.